steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! To the Unbelievable Podcast, I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we have a Vikings victory. Thank goodness, right? I think a lot of us were waiting for something good to happen. Uh, the last couple shows have been a little bit doom and gloom and kind of, uh, you know, expecting the worst, if you will, and uh, the Vikings were able to come out victorious in Los Angeles. Vikings fans showed out and kind of took over Los Angeles and uh, maybe even gave their team a bit of an edge yesterday. Final score... 27 to 20 still close still a one score game but ultimately the vikings did a lot of the things that we've been clamoring for as fans uh yelling about on this show specifically and a lot of good things happen on both sides of the ball offensively and defensively so fairly complete game effort against you know i think is likely going to be a playoff team in the chargers and i think you can make an argument that they're gonna be a pretty damn good playoff team so quality win at that on the road uh most certainly needed as i've already said so we'll break all that down uh the vikings move to four and five on the season with the opportunity to move to 500 next week against green bay which at this point in the season knowing what we do uh feels like about all you can ask for so this is definitely a positive show uh let's jump right into it here um, we normally start with the quarterback, but really this was kind of a collective team effort and kind of a change in philosophy, a shift in philosophy, if you mm-hmm. will, that while it did affect Kirk, Kirk Cousins in a positive manner, you know, going 25 for, you know, 37, just short of 300 yards, I believe, a couple touchdowns, getting all of his targets involved. Uh, but really this was a more of a tip of the cap to uh, whoever is in charge of philosophy, right? Or whoever is in right. charge of calling the style of play, not just the not just the individual plays in succession, but the actual style of, you know, the attempt to play this football game in 2021 instead of 1965. Yeah, I think that's, to me, that's the big takeaway from this game. And, you know, we usually start with Kirk, and I know he – um, is probably the um, you know we should we shouldn't talk badly about his performance. He certainly did everything that was needed, but something seemed to have seems to have flipped. Uh, you know because the Vikings have been in this scenario over and over, and I, I mean it's been a, basically a routine now on this show right. for every single uh, you know recap show that we have. It's talking the same talking points over and over. It's be more aggressive. You know try to win the game, not lose the game type, or you know play to win the game, not to not lose the game. And they finally did that today. Um, and it was great to see that, you know, whether it was third and 20 on that last possession and trying to take that shot down the field yes. or the following play on fourth That's and two, when say. you have a chance to win and, or you can try that long 50 some yard field goal, or you can punt. It's kind of all, all of your options are on the table there. And Zimmer rolled the dice with the, the go for it decision, which I absolutely love. So, um, which I, one thing I did not see coming was Zimmer being in general for the game, kind of the more ag- aggressive, uh, more, you know, trying to win the game type mentality than Staley. And Staley had a couple of very questionable fourth down decisions, I thought, in that game, which were very uncharacteristic of him. So, I mean, I think the Vikings definitely, without a doubt, outcoached the Chargers, um, which is something I didn't really see coming, but I'm certainly here for it. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's an important point here, especially given kind of the the circumstances that Zimmer finds him in as a head coach right now. And getting a victory 
you know, in theory, a, a coaching victory, if you will. Uh, that's big for him, especially over an opponent like the Chargers. You know, Brandon Staley being one of those, quote, up-and-coming coaches and new philosophy, new age minds. Um, that's a big win for Zimmer and his old-school mentality, if you will. But I do think that he did bring in some contemporary concepts and uh, philosophical decisions for sure. Um, I want to focus in on those last two plays that you just brought up here because I do think that they are – undeniably the most important in terms of projecting this team for the future, right? Like ultimately it's nice to get that individual win, but we also have to look forward here and how can this team, you know, how does this team project moving forward, right? They're four and five. They're in the thick of it for that six, seven seed territory. I think, uh, you know, us on this podcast believe the Vikings are heading in that direction. I think a lot of people out there are also sort of feeling the same way that this team could be a playoff contender, a borderline playoff contender, but a shift in philosophy, right? That shift in gears that we saw, um, that kind of was the with the penultimate play and then the ultimate play that decided this football game. Those two decisions right there, the third and 20, like you said, where you throw downfield, right? It wasn't just Kirk's decision. The concept of the play was to go downfield. Um, it was a intermediate to long distance route. Uh, I believe he got what was it, 15 yards of air underneath that football, and then pushed it, you know, pushed a little bit further to get you into that fourth and two position where you have your entire playbook wide open. And then ultimately the decision-making, of course, you know, whatever went into it, whether it was Zimmer finally getting sick of people yelling in his ear about him not gambling too much, whether it's an internal thing where they're finally embracing analytics, whatever that decision was, that plays a role in the future of this organization, the immediate future of this team this season. And just generally, you know, in general, the shift in philosophy can turn this team from being, you know, this kind of, middle of the road, okay, we're going to flip a coin to see who's going to win this football game at the end, to I'm going to take this, I'm going to take advantage of these opportunities, and we're going to gamble that way. But we're going to gamble on ourselves that we're going to get that final yard, that we're going to have the last possession of the game. They kneeled out the clock, victory formation. The fact that the Vikings were willing to go all in to have just the opportunity to kneel it down three straight times, run out the clock with nothing the Chargers can do. That's something we haven't really seen this season. And that's a different, that's a different, it's different, change. totally different. Yes. I mean, I was stunned to see them even be, I mean, drop back to pass in that third and 20, to be honest yes. with you, let alone flip it down the field, down the seam and try and get near that first down. That was stunning to me. And then even before that, there was a couple of uh, series. I think it may have been the previous series was the third and six um, where there was, they went down the right side on that fade route to Justin Jefferson. And they kind of let him make the play. Like that's another one too, where that third and six, I think a lot of times in in Zimmer's past, probably run that ball, force the Chargers to use another timeout and kind of take your chances with your defense. But in this scenario, with the way your team's constructed now, where you're kind of relying on your offense a little bit, let your best player, Justin Jefferson, go make that play if he's one-on-one. And that's what they did yesterday, several times, not just that play, but that one kind of was the big, another one of those big money plays at the end. So uh, credit to the Vikings, credit to, you know, I'm hoping that this is a, a trend now that is set for the future, not just kind of a one-off because like I've pointed out before, there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to Zimmer's aggressiveness or tentativeness. You know, it just kind of comes and goes, it seems like without any rhyme or reason to it. So I'm not convinced that this is a, a, you know, a turning point yet, but I'm optimistic that it can maybe lead to something better because I need to see a little bit more to be convinced because uh, there's been times this year where it's been like, oh, I was, you know, Zimmer. Okay. You know, I see you being aggressive, but then it quickly turns back to the conservative and stuff. So I don't know what it is, um, but Hey, we'll take it. I think that's a good win. It's a win. I did not anticipate. I think both of us got that one wrong. So, um, you know, the defense played well 
offensively they did more than enough. Uh, pretty solid performance. So when you look at kind of that philosophical change and the way that this team can trend moving forward, right? It gives you more offensive opportunities and then you kind of shift this team to being more of a offense oriented team. Uh, you know, that third and 20 call in specific, right? Um, that's a play where while we as fans may have been pissed off about the Vikings, not taking a shot to get a first down there, it's the conventionally right call to run the ball there and make sure you're milking clock or at least take a, a high percentage completion that is going to milk some clock there. And the fact the Vikings went away from that, um, away from basically every traditional sense of football, right? Um, that's, that's new. And, you know, I'm with Drew that, the, you know, you need to see these things a little bit more. Or you need to find some level of consistency because you're right. There is no rhyme or reason to any of this. It's just kind of random. Like, all right, I'm feeling it right now. Well, why aren't you feeling it always? Or like, where? what's the question that we need to have answered? Right. I mean, why is this so much different than the last nine weeks of the year where right. they were in this scenario, you know, six or seven times and they went a different route, you know? And, they, and then, and it wasn't always pretty believe like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think there was one of those plays at the end of the game. They were trying to ice that clock and they ended up throwing a like a fade route down the left sideline to Conklin, who was very well covered. And that's one where it's, right. you know, you, you look at that, and you're like, what's going on there. But the, I still, you know, I'd rather do that. Take your chance. Maybe Conk can make a play. He's a very athletic guy. Uh, then, you know, kind of almost concede the ball back to the other team. Because at the end of the day, you want to be in control of the game and Absolutely. have possession of the ball at all costs. You know, when it comes down to those last few minutes, you have the lead. The only way that you can totally control the game is by owning possession of the football. So that's, um, I think, I th I'm hoping this kind of can change that for the better long term. But uh, that to me is the big takeaway from this game really is that the Vikings, they won the close game. They closed out when they needed to, mm -hmm. and they did so effectively. They did it the right way by being aggressive and playing to win the game. I know that's the most cliche thing ever, but I think it's true that, you know, the Vikings have been playing not to lose. They've been playing scared down the stretch in the games, and it's cost them a win or two this year to sort of see them kind of get on the right track on that side of things is very, very positive. I think moving forward. Absolutely. So, now you got to look at kind of the impact players here, right? Like who brought, made this all possible because there, there were some things that were not so good, right? You think about the one drive where the chargers quite literally scored on straight penalty yardage. I believe it was like 97% right. of their yards. Well, I think were penalty the first yards. half they had, I think almost a hundred penalty yards. I think and the that's, Vikings did. that's by the way, just a small tidbit here. Just another reason to throw the ball on third down and fourth down because of those yes. pass interference penalties. I know that kind of goes without saying in today's world, but it's something that I think we need to scream into whoever's got this, you know, calling the shots, whether it's Kubiak, Zim or whoever, because uh, that's it. I mean, that's a big opportunity. You see a lot of teams try to take advantage of that. I see a lot of teams get out of like third and 16 situations just yesterday. You know, by throwing the ball, getting an illegal contact, getting a downfield pass interference, whatever it is. Anyways, the Vikings were victims of that for sure. And they kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot in that regard. My question is, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You're still a four and five team. There are some things here that can that will kill you down the stretch against other opponents that maybe are having a better day, you know, more efficient, playing more efficient football, um, maybe not turning it over, maybe not getting kind of having that bad football luck, whatever it is. You're going to lose some games if you keep it in these penalty yards. Who is this a reflection of? Who is the problem here? Because it's not just one guy. Like, I know Everson Griffin gets his his daily, his weekly penalty every single week, right? 
It's always going to happen. But it's other guys, too. I mean, you got Breland getting penalties. Mackenzie Alexander kind of got a dumb pass interference penalty that I don't know if should have been called, but it got called nonetheless. You've got guys across the board getting these penalties. Is this something that's fixable? Is this something that's on Zimmer? Or where are we at with the penalty situation? Because it's been pretty consistently bad. I believe the team is bottom five in the league in penalty yards this season. You know, I, I, I'm not as stuck up on that. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to not think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't think it's a huge, I mean, it's a concern, but I don't, I, I feel like they're not that much different than other teams in the league. Like penalties happen. Yep. Uh, you're, you see it every week, you know, you watch other games, you see those pass interference calls and stuff like that. So I'm not, you know, I, in this case, it did probably give the chargers a few points in this game. I don't remember exactly what drive it was and if they got three or seven or out of it. Um, but there's, you know, it's, I guess it'd be more glaring if the Vikings weren't putting up points on the other side of that drive right. themselves. So That's I guess, point. I don't know. It's, I guess if it was a loss, we'd probably be talking about it a lot more. It's one of those things that right. it's easy for me to dismiss them in my mind because it ended up being a win, but you know, I guess I'll be looking for that more in the green Bay game here because especially, we you know, you know, depending on the type of fan you are, you know, green Bay and their pack and their penalties. And if you believe in the bias and all that stuff, you know, uh, that'll be one to watch this week uh, because there are there are statistics out there to prove like you know the, the penalties benefited Green Bay versus against Green Bay over the years and it's right. been a little more. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be that guy to make the excuses because Green Bay has been the better team for basically every season of my existence. But anyway, we're I'm getting on tangent here. Basically, I'm not that worried about the penalties at this point. Um, but. I think it's just a young team. You know, this roster is very young. There's a lot of injuries on that defensive side. Um, It's not something I'm totally concerned about. I think it can be cleaned up. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. I mean, for the most part, right, throughout Zimmer's tenure, the Vikings have been very good with penalties, especially kind of the objective penalties, like the really, you know, the stupid ones, like jumping off sides, encroachment, uh, you know, stuff like that, where it's not really a judgment call by the referees. Yeah, I mean, I just think this, this defense, it's, it's becoming almost like last year where you're all your star guys are missing time. You know, they haven't, I, I saw that Pierce Hunter, uh, Peterson and Barr, all four of those guys were kind of being counted on to be back in the fold this year or added to the fold in Peterson's case. And all of them are MIA, mm-hmm. you know, and they haven't played one snap together this year between the four of them. So, it's already it's happening again with Zimmer. You know, he really hasn't had good injury luck defensively since that 2017 season. And especially the last two years, it's been bad. So he's kind of been piecing together with practice squad guys. Cam Bynum has been a stud showing up in place of Harrison Smith, who, by the way, is also missing time. So there's I think that's a lot of what's happening here is just new guys being thrown in there and playing roles that they're not sure. used to playing. So I'm not that worried about it yet. But uh, again, who knows if it comes up again in a future game. Something to monitor, and I think what you, the point that you made earlier about how if this was a loss, we'd probably have a much bigger problem with it. It's easier to overlook penalties. That's kind of how penalties are, right? Like if you lose the game, you're blaming the penalties, or you have to talk about the penalties, or you yeah. have some or some sort of adverse reaction to the penalties. But if you win, you kind of forget about them, and that's why you know throughout Everson Griffin's career, he's been able to get away with all those ridiculous offside penalties because normally you know the sack is coming next or something like yeah. that, right? So uh, by the way, his good... spin move is still very much. Oh, no, he's very good. He's a good football player. Like I... that. 
like he had three or four of those yesterday where he he takes all games setting it up you know and then the one right. time he unleashes it it is it's nasty i mean just happened to be i think three of those times were like your screenplays or they were kind of quick quick mm-hmm. scheme passes but man he's he was terrifying yesterday I think there's a fair argument to be made that he might actually be better um, as a run defender now than he was earlier in his career when he was willing to more just kind of sacrifice the rushing defense element of his game. Of course, he became a better edge defender towards the later of his tenure. And I think there's a fair argument to be made that he's the smarter football player in terms of knowing what's coming in front of him now. And I think that's the edge that he has at this stage in his career. I think you can see a little bit of, you know, the diminishment of his physical tools, right? Like he's not quite the same guy he was, but in terms of the fundamentals, that has not change he's still the same guy and i think mm-hmm. he's a smarter football player now too i would love to see the penalties you know kind of go away the i believe it's the hands to the face penalty is the new one for him um but it is what it is you kind of take the good with the bad and i think you make a good point that young teams kind of tends to equal more penalties and really i don't think anyone's yeah. at fault here but it is something to monitor so all right next thing that i wanted to get to here before we give out our players the game and kind of recognize the true stars of this game is um there have been a lot of guys you just mentioned camp Bynum specifically uh, of course his name's going to come up here but there have been a lot of guys that have been kind of thrust into roles this year uh, there's nick vigil of course early in the year with bar out he's also been playing a lot of snaps recently you know cam bynum of course uh, kenny willikis from michigan state last week was outstanding we would have loved to see him get an encore performance this week but due to covid he was out you got mason cole filling in at center and actually looking really good at center i mean there's a lot of these guys like kind of ragtag dudes that are coming from mid rounds later in the draft Unex- not guys that you'd expect to get full-time mm-hmm. snaps in any individual game this season and actually playing really well um, I think Cam Bynum is the is the clear top of the list because he's got the flash plays. He's also got the one of the more difficult roles to play in terms of stepping in for Harrison Smith and being asked right. to use you know a lot of different skills, whether it's coverage, press, man, zone, um, going up the line of scrimmage. He got a sack yesterday, coming off of an interception game. I mean, this guy seems to have a lot of the tools, but you know him, other guys. Who are your favorites here in terms of like? guys that might be with this team long-term, whether it's in a spot starter role or they just simply provide value maybe long-term as a starter. Yeah. Well, another one that we didn't mention is Tyler Conklin. You there know, you he's, go. Yeah, he stepped absolutely. in for Irv Smith and he has been that guy uh, tied in that safety blanket. He's come up with a big couple of catches this year. I think back to that Bengals game early on, I think there was a deep 27 yard seam route up the middle there on that Vikings, uh, that last drive before regulation ended that they needed a field goal. Conklin provided that, that big play. He's had a number of those big plays this year. Talk about the opening drive of that Dallas game. Same thing. You can trust him one-on-one. He's also becoming a lot more savvy in terms of finding that open spot. Like he did in the zone on his first touchdown against the chargers. So I, I think he's been a really nice weapon. Again, he's not spectacular. He's not, you know, you know, Travis Kelsey out there by any means, but uh, he's been a really, really nice complimentary, like third option, fourth option in the passing game. When you have Jefferson and Thielen out there and you can throw Conklin kind of one-on-one with linebackers or let him kind of find that soft spot in the zone. uh, I think Kirk is starting to really trust him. Absolutely. I asked this question to my buddy yesterday. I was just looking up this, looking this up on my phone. About Irv Smith specifically. Remember Irv Smith used to be on, he's yeah. on this football team. He'll be returning next year. Um, Tyler Conklin has had the opportunity, and I believe it was Irv Smith actually that said to him, hey, you know, go make that money, right? Um, have me take advantage of this opportunity to get your next contract through this opportunity because I'm going to be back essentially and I'm going to take right. your job. Now, that's essentially what he was saying, right? Um, here's the thing with Irv Smith is can I'm starting to wonder, and I'm, I'm not saying that these two guys can't coexist. 
But who's to say that Tyler Conklin isn't just as valuable as Irv Smith? And the reason why I pose this question is because I think the four, six speed and vertical presence, the ability to have that kind of next dimension as a tight end makes it easier to say, okay, guy X is going to be better than guy Y because Tyler Conklin simply does not possess that element of his game. But is it, is there an argument here? Like is Conklin I mean, the more well-rounded no player idea. perhaps? Because he's doing no a lot of things very well right he now. Is, and I think it's is. a fair argument to ask. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's fair. I think, I mean, so this is going to be kind of an outrageous comparison maybe, but like, I kind of, I kind, what I wanted the Vikings to do this year before Irv Smith got hurt was to kind of use Irv, use Irv Smith the way the Falcons are with Pitts. Um, Kyle Pitts is basically lining up. He's standing up for a lot of his snaps as a third wide receiver more than he's playing actual tight end. And so that's where I kind of wanted to see the Vikings use Irv Smith. And so in that sense, I do think they could coexist now financially. I don't know if that works, if Conklin's going to get that money, you know, but I think, there's that possibility of Conklin being more of a hand in the dirt tight end and Irv Smith being kind of your third receiver mm-hmm. uh, moving forward here. And again, and does not KJ Osborne. That guy has been great too. Um, but I think Irv Smith has that potential and adds that to your team. If you really want to choose that, he can be a, a third wide receiver option as well as a tight end. He kind of be out wide and have stand him up. So I, I think they can coexist in that sense. They have different, physical attributes and, and traits that can coexist. But, you know, that, that's a fair question. I think Conklin has been certainly exceeded my expectations this year. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. That might be a decision time for the Vikings front office here soon. Uh, it's interesting because I think that Conklin might be the better red zone threat, whereas Irv Smith is the better guy moving the ball down the field because of the ability that he, he gives you with the big play. But in small spaces, I think there's an argument to be made that Tyler Conklin might actually be more valuable to the Vikings. So, again, just something. I don't know if it's true. I'm, again, we don't we haven't seen Irv Smith play in over you know a year. Uh, it's, it's hard to even say where he's at uh, at this point. So um, just a completely subjective argument that I thought I would throw out there just for the sake of conversation. But um, all right, last piece thing that we normally do here is we hand out game balls. Now, I think there's probably a lot of them to hand out. I think there's a couple of very obvious candidates. We haven't touched on Justin Jefferson. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just go ahead and say right now that he's going to get one of those game balls. his performance, of course, highlighted by the fact that the Vikings are using him in terms of targets, right? I believe he got over double the amount of targets that he had last week. Uh, in the finally last more two involved. games. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, more involved in the offense and the Vikings reap the rewards. And there you go. Game ball for Justin Jefferson. Yeah, that's not that. That's what I would have done, too. I mean, he's a, that's a game ball receiver. He made so many clutch catches. Too. There was one, I think, a second and 20 where he caught it probably 12 yards down the field and carried four charges with him to a first down. Uh, and I, I, I saw the number today too. I believe he's top five this year in yards per touch. And I want to say receiving yards, I think something like that, or maybe yards per target and yards per touch, but he's 14th in targets. Mm-hmm. So he's based, he's more or less the most efficient receiver in the NFL again, or one of the most efficient, uh, but his targets are still, He's not being uh, fed the ball like a true number one, like some of these, like he probably deserves to be. And so I guess this is one of those games that you would hope will continue that trend because he right. should be targeted, you know, minimum 10 times a game. So I'm hoping that continues forward. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really nice to know you got Justin Jefferson one-on-one. He's tossing the ball on that, that kind of go route down the sideline. He's going to come up with it more often than not or get that flag call. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's 
that's a huge weapon to have. So props to him, stud Vikings. I, I really hope they don't let him go anywhere uh, because he's a superstar. He definitely, he's a bona fide superstar for sure in these games like this that um, you remember that, right? And of course, it came against mm. the Chargers, which is nice because, of course, he lost out on Offensive Rookie of the Year to Justin Herbert last year. So it's nice to see um, kind of uh, him get uh, some semblance of revenge. I don't know what that means to him. It probably means more to Eric Kendricks, by the way, uh, who probably deserves the other game ball here, even though PFF doesn't uh, seem doesn't seem to believe uh, that <laughs> he does. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, what my eyeballs saw, and again, I'm just going to give this quick disclaimer like I always do with PFF. They're great. It's an excellent tool. They give you a ton of analytics that are not available to the naked eye, and it gives you a good perception of what happened without actually watching the football game. Now, that being said, it's something that you have to add to kind of your vantage point, right? Like what you see, how you feel, um, your understanding of football, all those things get mixed in here. And I think – I'm very confident that Eric Kendricks played a stupendous football game yesterday. Uh, it's not just the coverage skills and, you know, getting, you know, his hands on that interception. It's also the ability to sniff out plays, make a bunch of unbelievable tackles um, and just basically be a force on every individual play yeah. right in the middle. Well, of there's like a lot of like, there's a lot of like five or six yard gains that without him are, you know, 12 to 15 yard gains because he's sniffing them out. And those maybe rollouts to the flat, whatever they might be that he just sees coming better than other players. And then, I mean, he covers like a cornerback. I mean, he does that interception on Keenan Allen. Uh, I saw, I mean, he, he just, he moves like a defensive back and uh, quarterbacks don't see it coming. That's if you look back at the interceptions in his career, uh, a lot of them are because it's quarterbacks not anticipating a linebacker moving like that. And then that yesterday was another perfect example. So he's, he's, a, he's a superstar in his own right. Doesn't have quite the PR campaign going that Justin Jefferson does, but he's certainly a star in his own right and deserves some more respect. He's uh, one of the best at his position, if not the best at his position in football. So uh, it's, that was fun to see him get both a sack and an interception. And he might get, you know, he might be in the running for a player of the week, NFC honors there. Yeah, if it, deserves to be. it would be kind of funny, actually, if he did win that and PFF gave him like a 47 grade or whatever it was. <laughs> it's, it's also nice just for Eric Hendricks, of course, coming from UCLA to go home to Los Angeles, get yeah, that's, a W that's in true. front of all of his family and friends. Um, that's definitely a benefit. And playing well is even better, right? So um, who are we missing? What final thoughts here do we have about this game? What do we not touch on yet that needs to be said before we get out of here? Yeah. So, I mean, I do want to, I mean, I got more credit to Mike Zimmer um, and the coaching staff. I, I think Clint Kubiak called a really good game actually. Um, and I think that shouldn't go unnoticed. Yeah. Um, you know, mixing in that play action pass a lot and be, you know, when it was time to be aggressive, he was aggressive. Uh, and then Kirk cousins. I mean, we didn't talk a lot about Kirk either, but the guy is, uh, he's not throwing interceptions. He has two this year, I think with 18 touchdowns. Um, and he threw some darts in that game um, over the middle pressures in his face and he's firing the ball right on target. Um, I was really impressed with his game yesterday. And, you know, I guess the next question then for him is, I mean, you see some of these throws that he made when they absolutely needed one or they, you know, here's the throw to win the game type plays. Where is that the whole game? You know, and I'm not, I think yesterday was probably a bad example of this, but overall throughout the season, there are times where he tucks it in and there's guys open down the field. And I think, you know, you, I saw, couple of times where Thielen was kind of breaking open down the field and his stat line didn't really reflect how open he was getting against the Chargers DBs yesterday. So 
Um, I, don't get me wrong. Cousins has played an awesome game yesterday and very efficient, uh, made all the throws he needed to. Uh, but just something to monitor where maybe you get in a shootout, like say against Rogers, for example, next week. And it's going to be about pushing the ball down the field. So I guess I'm praising Kirk, but also kind of uh, testing him for next week and saying, you know, you're going to have to do this a little bit higher at a little bit higher level next week uh, to, to get that win. Absolutely. And you look at like Kirk, for example, is going to always be one of those guys where he's doing things subtly that are really, really good. But if one player overlooks over kind of outshines him, you overlook the quote, and I'm using this very loosely, right? The greatness of Kirk Cousins. And that's things like the, you know, the, the absolute dart into triple coverage to Justin Jefferson which went unnoticed until Matt Waldman put it on Twitter because Justin Jefferson caught that football and dug his way for five more yards to get a first down on third. Correct. Long, yeah. Right? Or it's so that like, I even overlooked. think back to like some other big time stat games that Diggs had a couple years ago where, you know, he'd have like 140 yards, three touchdowns against Philly, but then, you know, Kirk would kind of go unnoticed as having a really superstar game that it happens. Believe me, I get, I get what you're saying, but that was an example. He had a few of those just darts in that game that were Absolutely. really good throws. Yeah, he had a, he played a really good football game and, you know, deserves a tip of the cap, especially, you know, with just the consistent hate that he gets when you get W's as a quarterback, whether it's fair to hand that W to you or not, or hand that L to you or not. Uh, the quarterback is the most polarizing position in all of sports. And it's the most, you are the most dependent on that one individual to win football games regardless. So ultimately, unless something crazy happens where you win three to nothing or seven to nothing or 10 to six and the quarterback basically does nothing. It's hard to overlook the value that that individual brings to a winning performance. Uh, managing the football game is overlooked as well. Just the simple fact that like mm-hmm. Drew said, did not turn the ball over, move the chains consistently. And ultimately, like I said, at the very top of the show, it's a good place to finish this as well. You, you end the game in the victory formation. You controlled the football game. You controlled the outcome and you controlled your ability to need three yeah. times and have all the coaches. You're not asking for luck or anything like that. You were you thoroughly outplayed and outcoached the other team. Nothing. You're not asking for that lucky break or that lucky bounce at the end of the game. And that I think is a huge positive development for this team. So I think there's reason for optimism. I know we've been very, uh, you know, it's been dark clouds and kind of, uh, pessimistic on this show quite often this year. Um, and I think it's warranted, but I think, but given how, if you are the type of fan, that's like, get me to the playoffs. I think the NFC is shaping up and I, for what it's worth, by the way, it seems like there's a, a, a lot of good teams, but not many great teams in the NFL this year. And look at what Cardinals did this weekend. Packers don't look that great right now. Tampa Bay just lost to Washington. Uh, the Rams last week got blasted. You know, I mean, you can go on and on with the list. It doesn't seem like there's that one team in either conference that's really standing out really besides Tennessee right now that is a clear-cut dominant team week in, week out. So something to note, you know, it's I think this year might be one of those unique years where a seven or six seed could go into the playoffs on the road and would have a realistic chance. I'm not saying it's the Vikings as of yet. I'm not really I'm not confident enough to say that, but uh, they certainly can put something together here and have that shot. Absolutely. And really, this is going to start coming down to divisional football, which, of course, starts 
this week, right? Yeah. Um, if the Vikings are able to get back, they, to this is a good test, good litmus, litmus test here. It's like the how, perfect. It's the how perfect real test. is this Vikings team? Can they compete with one of the top dogs? They're at home. Yep. Uh, and the Packers again, they don't look awesome lately. Um, I know they've had some COVID and some stuff going on. I know, but I'm just I'm. The defense looks awesome, I should say. The offense has not looked spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't, you know, wow me against Seattle. So I will see. Should be a good one. We'll be back on uh, Wednesday with it, though. That'll be Absolutely. that'll be a good one. Packer Absolutely. week's always fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the opportunity to get to back to 500 against such a crucial opponent too. I mean, this is the, this is the, this is a turning point game. You either move to four and six and sink two games below 500 as well as, you know, a home loss to the divisional opponent, or you get a five, you get, you get a W go back to 500. You kind of do this whole song and dance of, are you good or not again? And uh, you see the rest of the season out, but uh, this is a crucial week for sure. And I think that the Vikings getting this victory here in the fashion that they did sets them up for more success than I at least uh, would have projected coming into this week. Um, so definitely, you know, it going moving up on the school scale, if you will. Right. Uh, optim- optimism. Optimism is higher than before. Uh, I still need to see a little bit more, but this is definitely a good week to prove it. You're right. This is a prove it game for sure. So we will, um, as Drew said, be back on later on this week on Thursday uh, to uh, talk about the Packers game in more detail, kind of go into the, you know, what's going to happen there. Aaron Jones, of course, uh, may not be on the field. You might get a full dosage of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Rodgers is back uh, coming off of a eh, performance at quarterback, and that seems dangerous at all times. So uh, thank you as always for listening. Uh, We'll uh, catch up with you later on here, but in the meantime, Make sure to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcast. If you prefer to watch the show, you can check us out on YouTube. Feel free to drop us a comment on there. Uh, I try to respond to them or at least, you know, give you guys a like to let you know that I'm reading those. Um, And lastly, make sure to check out the rest of the Climbing the Pocket Network and Daily Norseman as well. Um, We always appreciate you guys checking that stuff out, leaving us comments there, uh, listening to the other shows in the network, things of that nature. So thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you later on this week.